0: stand together, I'll read the entire psalm, Psalm 103, if you'll read along silently with me as I read out loud. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. The wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children. To such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. O oh, Father, we bless your holy name. Thank you, Lord God. Tonight we come before you with thankful hearts and thankful spirits. We praise your name for the goodness you've shown us over the last year. We praise your name for this church that you've provided for us, our pastor, the good people that serve and labor in this church. We thank you for the fellowship we've enjoyed. We thank you for the bountiful blessings you've poured upon each one of us. We thank you for the answers to prayers throughout this year, the the miracles that we saw in the way of healing and, and, and in restorations and in so many things. And now, Lord, as we gather around your word tonight, Holy Spirit of God, we pray that you would teach us to be thankful as we should. Teach us to love the Lord as we must. Teach us to serve as is our responsibility and our reasonable service. Help us tonight. Help our disbelief. Help our weaknesses. Make us strong in thy sight. And help us to proclaim the good news of the gospel to all that are in this area, that we might go forth and witness unto Christ and that he might draw to those um, all that he will save. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for all these things, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The pilgrims who sailed to this country aboard the Mayflower were originally members of the English Separatist Church. They had earlier fled their home in England and sailed to Holland to escape religious persecution. There they enjoyed more religious tolerance but they eventually became disenchanted with the Dutch way of life, um, thinking it ungodly. Seeking a better life, the separatists negotiated with a London stock company to finance a pilgrimage to America. The pilgrims set ground at Plymouth Rock on December 11, 1620. Their first winter was devastating. At the beginning of the following fall, they had lost 46 of the original 102 who sailed on the Mayflower. But the harvest of 1621 was a bountiful one, and the remaining colonists decided to celebrate with a feast, including 91 Indians who had helped the pilgrims survive their first year. It is believed that the pilgrims would not have made it through the year without the help of the natives. The feast was more of a traditional English harvest festival than a true Thanksgiving observance. It lasted three days. Governor William Bradford sent four men fouling after wild ducks and geese. It is not certain that wild turkey was part of their feast. However, it is certain that they had venison. The term turkey was used by the pilgrims to mean any sort of wild fowl. Another modern staple at most every Thanksgiving table is pumpkin pie. But it is unlikely that the first feast included that treat. The supply of flour had been long diminished, so there was no bread or pastries of any kind. However, they did eat boiled pumpkin, and they produced a type of fried bread from their corn crop. There was also no milk, cider, potatoes, or butter. There was no domestic cattle for dairy products, and the newly discovered potato was still considered by many Europeans to be poisonous. But the feast did include fish, berries, watercress, lobster, dried fruit, clams, venison, and plums. This Thanksgiving feast was not repeated the following year. Many years passed before the event was repeated. It wasn't until June of 1676 that another day of thanksgiving was proclaimed. On June 20th of that year, the, governor, the Governing Council of Charlestown, Massachusetts, held a meeting to determine how best to express thanks for the good fortune that had seen their community securely established. By unanimous vote, they instructed Edward Rawson, the clerk, to proclaim June 29th as a day of thanksgiving. 100 years later, in October of 1777, all 13 colonies joined in a Thanksgiving celebration. It also commemorated the patriotic victory over the British at Saratoga. But it, too, was a one-time affair. George Washington proclaimed a national day of Thanksgiving in 1789, although some were opposed to it. There was discord among the colonies, many feeling the hardships of a few pilgrims did not warrant a national holiday. Kind of sounds like our liberals of today, doesn't it? And later, President Thomas Jefferson opposed the idea of having a day of Thanksgiving. It was Sarah Josepha Hale, a magazine editor, whose efforts eventually led to what we recognize as Thanksgiving. Hale wrote many editorials championing her cause in her Boston Ladies magazine, and later in Godey's Ladies' Book, finally after a 40-year campaign of writing editorials and letters to governors and presidents, Hale's obsession became a reality when in 1863, President Lincoln proclaimed the last Thursday in November as a national day of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was proclaimed by every president after Lincoln. The date was changed a couple of times, most recently by Franklin Roosevelt, who set it up one week to the next to last Thursday in order to create a longer Christmas shopping season. Public uproar against this decision caused the president to move Thanksgiving back to its original date two years later. And in 1941, Thanksgiving was finally sanctioned by Congress as a legal holiday as the fourth Thursday in November. The original celebration of Thanksgiving was offered as thanks unto God for the bounty of blessings He had bestowed upon the pilgrims. And from the history we just read, we can see that every celebration of thanksgiving in history was in response to God's blessings. Yet it is important to note that Holy Scripture is permeated with this notion of giving of thanks unto God. So tonight, I would like to answer two questions. The first question is why should we be thankful? And the second question is, for what should we be thankful? So let's begin tonight with, first of all, addressing the question, why be thankful? Well, I would, of course, could give many reasons, but there are three particular reasons I want to cite. The first one is this. Number one, I think we should be thankful because thankfulness is commanded. In the Word of God, we find that thankfulness is commanded. In Psalm 50 verse 14 we read offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the most high. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 again we read be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. All that you and I do, all that we do, we do because we have been commanded to do. That is, if we are good children of God. We don't do the things we do because they're popular. We don't do the things we do because they're all fun. We do them because we have been commanded to do them. Now how we do these things, whether that be willingly or grudgingly, is a different matter. But it remains that we all do what we do because we are commanded by God to do them. So we are commanded to express thanks unto God. Has there ever been a time in your life when you did not feel like expressing appreciation? How many of you would say, there have been times when I didn't feel like being thankful? Sure, we could all say that. In fact... There may have been times when you felt like telling everyone exactly what you thought and how you really felt. I've had those times. Yet you restrain yourself. You demonstrated self-control. And you managed to force out appreciation, however insincere at the moment it may have been. And this is what we call Maturity we have learned as we've grown over the years to show and express thanks even when we don't feel thanks. Now, I do not state this to imply that we should grudgingly give thanks unto God. Please do not misunderstand my statement. Certainly all of us here tonight would admit that we deserve nothing from God and that He owes us nothing. And this truth that we are commanded to give thanks unto God should serve to remind us and to teach us that no matter what happens around us or to us, we must be people of thankfulness. We should be thankful in the good times, of course, that's easy. But we also need to be thankful in the bad times because we are commanded to if for no other reason. Because God said so. Now, we've all used that on our children. Daddy, why do I have to do this? Because I say so. Now, if we expect our children to accept that answer, then we too must accept that answer from our Father. God, why should I be happy in all of this? Because my child, I said to. And that should be good enough. Now, the converse of this, of course, is thanklessness. And thanklessness by the way, is always the result of discontent. Paul addressed this matter very clearly in Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, Paul writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith Content. You know, Americans are spoiled, rotten people. You know that? We whine and complain and we cry because we can't buy a new car or we can't afford that trip we wanted to take. Yet, in some nations in this earth, people will wake tomorrow morning, they won't have a turkey in the oven. They don't have an oven. They don't have a house. They don't have a bed. And there are some young boys in this room, some young children. Let me tell you, there are some, you know, some young people in the world the same age as these kids that don't have any parents. Living in, living in, in squalor, living in filth, living. In, and we in America have the nerve to complain. We have the nerve to ever, at any instance in our life, gripe and complain. We have been so blessed in this nation by our God. Oh, Paul said, having food and raiment, be happy, be content. Whatever God has given you, you be happy and content because we're not taking anything with us. So we, we must humble ourselves and we must realize that if we receive any good thing, it is of God that we receive it. And we must not expect to receive good and not evil in this life. Job talked about that in Job chapter 2. Verses 9 and 10. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Boy, what a wife. What, an, what, a, what a help me, What an encouragement. How would you guys like it if you're laying in bed sick and your wife comes up to you and says, why don't you just curse God and die? But he said unto her, I'll speak as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Now let me tell you, Job was thankful. But not because he felt thankful at that moment. But Job was thankful because he was commanded to be thankful by his God. He knew that the sufferings of this life are nothing compared to the glory that awaited him in heaven. And if it be God's will that Job die, Job knew that on the other side, there's a greater life awaiting him. And folks, the same is true for you and I. I came to the realization after I was saved that I'd be better off dead. And the older I get, the more I realize that. In Romans 8, verse 18, Paul says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Oh, let me tell you, we ought to be thankful tonight. We have have a plethora of reasons to be thankful tonight, but we ought to be thankful simply because God said to be thankful and because God is good and what God does is good for me, whatever it may be. Why, Why be thankful? Number two, because thankfulness is a good thing. Thankfulness is a good thing. It is declared good by the scripture. In Psalm 92 and verse one, David wrote this. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O most high. More directly, it is the appropriate thing to do. My daddy raised me to say thank you. When my daddy told me, when someone does something for you, you say thank you. That's the appropriate thing to do. He even, and by the way, he even meant when he gave me a whooping. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I never received a whipping I didn't deserve. Yeah. We're to give thanks because it's a good thing. It is the reasonable thing. It is the expected offering of the saint unto God. Romans 12, 1, Paul writes, I beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Listen, obedience and service to God is absolutely reasonable. Is it reasonable to expect, Brian, that these boys, when they get old enough, are going to cut your lawn? Is that reasonable to expect? They're going to mow your lawn? Absolutely. Is it reasonable, parents, to expect that when your children get old enough, they go out there and wash your automobile for you? Is that reasonable or is that unreasonable? Is it reasonable to expect that young ladies will learn to keep house with their mother and young men will learn to work with their father? That's reasonable. It's expected. It's appropriate. And thankfulness to God is also reasonable appropriate and expected just take a look at our nation tonight they are celebrating a season of thanksgiving but they know not what they're thankful for and they know not to whom they offer their thanks Now, i do not say that to be thankful for the things that they are expressing thanks for is not a good thing but i say that the motive behind their thankfulness is misplaced we ought to be thankful tonight, as, as the world is, for our jobs, for our homes, for the material blessings that we have, for the assets we have. But all of us must remember that all these things come from our Heavenly Father. James, in, in the first chapter of his book, in verse 17, writes, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. These things are not the results of our own works. They are not founded in our own strength. They are the handiwork of God. They are his gifts unto us. And to express thanks to the one that provides for us is basic human kindness and just plain old-fashioned good manners. Yet this world hatefully and maliciously maligns the very God that created and provides for them. And still they claim to be people of thanks. So shall we, the children of God, his elect saints, shall we too deny and dishonor our Lord by such behavior throughout the year? Christians shouldn't be people that remember to be thankful just one day out of the year. Christians should be people who are thankful every moment of every day. Every day. God forbid that we would behave in such a way. Let us that are called the sons of God be a thankful people because it is commanded and because it is good. And then thirdly, because thankfulness is God's will. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, Paul writes, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now consider this with me for a moment. We know that Scripture clearly teaches that God is all-knowing, that He knows everything that we need, and that He withholds nothing good from us. Even when that thing might be something that we would consider to be bad, God acts in our best interest at every occasion in our life. Therefore, for us to express a lack of thanks at any instance in our life, is in fact to express thanklessness unto God our Father, who hath, who hath ordained these things unto us for our benefit and for our admonition. It's just plain old showing God no thanks. I mean, even that problem you went through, or you're going through, or you're going to go through. We ought to be thankful to God that he that not only that he allowed us to endure that to learn from it, but that he takes us through it to the other side. When a problem starts in my life, I get excited because I know God's going to do some great thing to bring me to the other side, because I know I'm either going to get to the other side or I'm getting to glory. One of the two. And either one of those are fantastic. And we just need to learn to be thankful, express our thanks It would be presuming upon knowing that which is best for us and stating that God has made poor decisions and his judgment is flawed concerning my best interests. If I do not express thanks to God, even in the troubles, then I am presuming to say I know what's best and God has made a mistake. And I'm sorry, but I'm not going to say that because that might be the last thing I say. Paul clearly stated in Romans chapter 8 that God is in control and that everything takes place as God wills. In Romans 8, 28, we read, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that most things work together. It didn't say some things work together. It said all things work together for good as God sees good not as I see good. In Romans 8, 35-39, Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we are thankful tonight. Why? Because it is commanded, because it is good, and because it is the will of God. Now that we have established why we are thankful, allow me to take just a few moments and share some thoughts with you concerning what should we be thankful for. Well, number one, I, th- I say tonight we should be thankful for the goodness and mercy of God. In Psalm 106, verse 1, the psalmist writes, Praise ye the Lord, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever." I grow weary tonight of those that choose to belittle the goodness and the mercy of God. Throughout human history, we can see the ingratitude of man toward God. There are those today that breathe the air God created. They drink the water God has purified. They enjoy the food that God has brought forth upon the earth. Then they curse him and they deny him in the next breath. They say, where's the proof of his existence? These devise elaborate explanations and theories surrounding the origin of the universe. But we're remind, I'm reminded of what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I'm amazed at how many stupid, educated people there are in the world. I mean, they have, they have degrees and they have doctorates. and They need three sheets of paper just to sign their name. But they don't have the intelligence that the two and three year olds sitting in our nursery tonight have because they know that God created all things. Now, and by the way, those two and three-year-olds will believe that God created all things until they get old enough for these so-called intelligent people to convince them otherwise. Jesus said, except you become as little children. You know, there's something great about the innocence of little children. And we need to be thankful tonight. We need to be thankful for the goodness and the mercy of God. But one might say tonight, well, what you're saying, that's just argumentative. That's, that's dogma, ready for a fight. By what authority do you and Paul make such statements against another man's beliefs? I don't make, I, it's not me that makes the statements, it's God. And in Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3, the Word of God says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There's none to do it good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They were all gone aside. They were all together become filthy. There is none to do with good. No, not one. Let the world foolishly deny God. But let the elect saints of God proclaim his goodness and his mercy unto all generations and let us be thankful in the same. We should be thankful tonight for the goodness and mercy of God. Secondly, we should be thankful for the gift of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15, we read, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. What would you consider a super duper gift today if Christmas were tomorrow morning? And and can you imagine what what would be a super duper gift? A new Lexus? uh, What is it, December to remember? You know, you, you, you open the curtain and there's a new Lexus and your wife or your husband's holding a key. Would that be a super-duper gift? How about a million-dollar inheritance? That'd be super-duper, wouldn't it? Have a million dollars and have no more worries financially in life? What about a new home? That would be a super-duper gift. Well, Paul had a different idea about a super-duper gift. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, Paul wrote, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ." Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul thought the most spectacular gift in the world was to know Jesus Christ. And I agree with him wholeheartedly. I'm sure that all of you here tonight love Christ. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here on on the eve of a holiday. And I'm sure that all of you here tonight are thankful for the blessings that you receive. But there are many in this world that do not fully understand the great gift of Christ. But we do. We understand that Jesus didn't just die on the cross to pay for sin. We understand that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. When he died, it was my face he saw. And if you're saved tonight, when he died, it was your face that he saw too. Jesus didn't die to make salvation possible for man. He died to secure salvation for God's elect people, God's chosen children. So how much do you appreciate that tonight? How thankful are we for this unspeakable gift. Our life, by the way, will reveal our thankfulness. Men will know how much we love Christ. They'll know when they see how much we love Christ. That's what James meant when he said, you show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. I'm not saved because of my works. I work because I'm saved. And we are to be thankful people tonight because we have been given an unimaginable gift. I tell you, I get goosebumps when I think about it. How wonderful this gift of Christ is in our hearts tonight. We should be thankful for God's goodness and mercy. We should be thankful for God's gift of Christ. Then thirdly, we should be thankful for the victory over death in the grave. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 55 through 57, Paul writes, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is something that most Christians rarely ever think about. Death to the believer is nothing more than a gnat. Now, we, we don't have too many gnats here in California, but brother, I know in Texas, you guys have gnats. And we have gnats. You can no see the little, yeah. We, back in, in Louisiana, we have these little, you can't even see them, they're so small, little gnats. And they are the most peskiest things you've ever seen. Now, death to the believer is just like that. It has absolutely no power over us. Think about that for a moment tonight. Death has no power over you. In Revelation 20, and verse 6, we read, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. You know, I don't, don't, those little gnats back home, they don't, I mean, they don't have any power over me. I don't have to worry about when I'm picking me up and carrying me away. They can't do that. They don't have any power over me. And we have no fear of it. We don't have, as Christians, we don't have a fear of death. At least we shouldn't. Because in Philippians chapter 1, and verse 21, Paul writes, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Listen, death is our gateway to eternal life. It's the door that ushers us into heaven. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 6, Paul writes, For I am now ready to be offered... And the time of my departure is at hand. It's just like Paul is is in the waiting area about to board the plane to fly to heaven. He says, hey, I'm getting ready to depart. I'm leaving from the next gate. But the way he was leaving doesn't sound very pleasant. It was at at the end of the headman's axe. But Paul looked forward to it. He said, I'm ready. I'm ready to be offered. He said, I'm ready to go. And death to you and I as God's children is nothing to fear. It's our gateway to eternal life, to the presence of the Lord. We do not live in fear today. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We don't need to live in fear today. No, what do we live in? We live in hope. Titus 1 verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. We live in hope, but we also live in confidence. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We live in confidence. Listen, Christians, I mentioned it in my Sunday school class Sunday morning. We shouldn't live in defeat. The Christians should never have a a, a bad day. We we are more than conquerors. Death has no power over us. The grave cannot control us. We are promised the victory in Christ. We, We must walk in faith. We must live in confidence. Now, that's not to say bad things don't happen to Christians, but you don't have to live in defeat under that. Because on the other side, there's either victory or we're in the presence of the Lord, which is the greatest victory of all. You know, life has a hard time throwing you a curveball when that's your attitude. If you just remember what this is all about, this isn't about houses and land, it's not about money. It's not about turkeys it's not about football it's all about the glorious god in heaven and we are to honor him we are to love him we're to serve him and one day soon when he's ready for us he will take us home to be with him for all eternity and while we're here he says just work for me just stay busy we're to be thankful today we're to be thankful For all of this, I'm thankful that I have victory in Christ, that I have victory over death and the grave. I'm thankful for the gift of Christ. I'm thankful for the goodness and mercy of God. And lastly tonight, I'm thankful for all things. Number four, we should be thankful for all things. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20, Paul writes, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now listen, and I'll close off. We do not have the luxury of picking and choosing the things for which we give thanks. And this God is very wise. If I truly learn this biblical principle, then I will love all men as I should. I will accept God's sovereignty over all things. I will trust God's providence over all things. I will understand God's superiority over all things but if I fail to be thankful in all things at moments and times in my lives, I will deny God's sovereignty I will doubt God's providence and I will reject God's authority in short I will become a God unto myself I can't pick and choose oh I'll be thankful for this but I won't be thankful for that no 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 that's not how it works God says, you just be thankful and you let me sort it all out. But you love everyone. You be thankful for everything. You be diligent in your, in your labors for me and you let me take care of the rest. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things shall be added unto you. We just need, in America, we need to forget about ourselves and start thinking about God. That's our problem in America. We're thinking about ourselves too much. And we forgot all about God. We only remember God on Sunday. Or when something bad happens. Oh, where can I pray? 364 days out of the year, we don't even know who God is. At least that's how we behave. And we must, we must learn to be thankful in all things. Because in this, God is wise. Because you and I don't have the intelligence to know what is good and what is not. Does that sound familiar? In Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Listen. Listen. I don't care how smart you think you are. You're not smart enough. You can't tell the difference between good and evil. And as, as, in fact, in this world, men call evil good and good evil. And no matter who we may think we are, the devil will get us if we eat from that tree. God said, just be thankful in all things. In everything, give thanks. Thanks. For this is the will of God concerning you. So give thanks tonight. Why do we give thanks? Because it's commanded. Because it's God's will and because it is good. And then be thankful for God's goodness and mercy. Be thankful for God's gift of Christ. Be thankful for victory over death in the grave. Just be thankful for all things. For in this, God will provide all things. God is in control. I'll share this with you. Recently, my relatives, my, my, my sisters and my nieces, got into some conversations over this new movie that's coming out, The Golden Compass. I don't know if any of you have heard of that or not. But it's written by, it's, it's a series of books written by an absolute devout atheist. And they were all talking back and forth about how we, we need to get together and we need to boycott this movie and we need to do all these things. And I told them, I said, you know, there have always been men like this in the world and there will be men like this in the world until the Lord comes back. We're not, we don't need to fight against men like that. What we need to do is look inside. Because my Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear in heaven, then will I heal their land. Folks, tonight if we want to blame someone for America, we need to blame ourselves. Because it's not the politicians that ruined America. It's not the liberals that ruined America. The liberals are just being liberals. It's the Christians. We have embraced this world Whether we want to admit it or not. We've embraced the world. We've become friends of the world. We've become enchanted with the sins of this world. And now God said, You are going to reap what you've sown. Don't blame the liberals for babies being aborted. Blame the Christians who have who have embraced this world. Blame myself. We love sin. And we don't want to let it go. We want to let go of the bad stuff. But the little bitty sins, we don't want to let those go. And God says, no, 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 no. Can't have both ways. Until we in America, until Christians in America get right with God, don't look for revival in America. Because it won't happen. Because God's not going to send revival because some certain politician gets elected. God's going to send revival when his people get on their face and start weeping and crying and calling unto him. That's when God's going to answer. So this holiday season, enjoy it. I think we ought to enjoy Thanksgiving. I think we ought to enjoy the Christmas holiday. But let's keep our minds on hearts on where it should be. Let's be thankful for the right things. Let's not forget to be thankful for all the goodness of God. Oh, be thankful for your job, be thankful for your home, be thankful for your children, but don't forget God. Don't forget the great gift he gave us. Don't forget the victory we have in life over death, over the grave, over sin. And just don't forget to be thankful in all things because in this, God has commanded us. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll just sing. We're not gonna have a long invitation, what we'll do. Ladies, if you want to come on up here, we're just going to sing I have decided to follow Jesus and dismiss and let everyone go home. So we want you to come on up. I'll pray, and then we'll just stand and we'll sing I have decided to follow Jesus. Our Father, teach us, Lord. We failed you. We failed our children because we've embraced this world. And and no matter how much we want to try to say we, we haven't, there's none of us that can say that we don't have things in this world that we love and things of this world that, 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 that we've drawn close to and we, because we won't let them go, we are losing the blessings from you. Help us tonight to be thankful people, to be thankful children. Help us tonight to search our hearts and to turn ourselves to you. Help us, Lord. Help us. We need your help. We can't do it without you. Now give everyone safety as they travel throughout this weekend and and as they spend time together with family. I pray that you would help us to find the love and joy that we seek. But most of all, let us remember you throughout this time. And let us be thankful unto you for all that you've done for us. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for all these things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.